about to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out His freedom. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last days. In this you greatly rejoice though for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him, and even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy for you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Well, good evening. It's great to be with you tonight, even though it's over this format. I uh, hope you're nice and warm where you are. Uh, and as we've introduced, uh, we're starting a series on hope. And I'm not sure where you are in kind of your grasp on hope right now. But uh, this, we had this time booked out in this preaching series a while back. And as we've approached it, we're just, I just grabbed the opportunity to preach to this particular moment in time. And so this week's going to be holding on to hope, and next week we're going to look at holding out hope to a world that desperately needs it. But as I was chatting to a mate down in Melbourne uh, just a couple of weeks ago, I mean, those guys in Melbourne have been in lockdown for 200 plus days since COVID last year. And I said to him, I said, what's your kind of, you know, wisdom for lockdown? How am I going to survive this? He says to me straight up, he says, the key to surviving lockdown is to give up on hope. I was like, <laughs> like, I think my mind just imploded around a whole bunch of feelings in that moment. I'm not really going to interrogate whether that was a wise thing to say or not, but I'm interested in what happens to us when we hear such a thing. Uh, for me, I kind of went through this just split moment of kind of sadness, of kind of like, oh, I, I, in disbelief, I can't, I can't give up on hope, I need hope. Uh, anger about what what's happening to us and what, what this is doing to us as, as people, as a society. Uh, and then I sort of followed it up with kind of a weird little laughter because I just didn't want <laughs> to know if it was actually kind of he was being serious or not. But we need hope. We, we are creatures shaped by hope. And um, it's really messing with us to sort of sit in this limbo of, of not knowing kind of, you know, when this will end or, or kind of, whether all our hopes built on vaccines and whatnot are actually going to come through. I mean, this time last year, we thought we were doing quite well, and here we are. And so in this moment of despair, I, I want to kind of wrestle with, with hope, what it is, and, and what Jesus is offering us. I want to speak to, to hearts and, and to minds. I'm going to use 1 Peter uh, just as a bit of a launching pad to kind of wrestle with this topic. I'll be bouncing around to different parts, and we're going to land in Psalms a lot. Uh, but 1 Peter is going to be the place that we're going to kind of build some stuff on. And so do keep your passage of the scriptures open. I'd love it if you had a paper Bible rather than flicking between your apps and whatnot. But just 
eat the word. It's good stuff. Um, here's where I'm going tonight. First of all, uh, I want to show you uh, how hope works. I'm just going to go to Wikipedia for that. It's pretty basic. Uh, I want to show you the living hope that Jesus gives, as Peter talks about here in this passage. I want us to join our story with God's. And I'm going to look at three anchors that kind of grip into our story um, to bind us into God's. And uh, I want to talk about what it means to hold on to hope, uh, particularly telling ourselves a better story than this moment would tell us. All right, let's do it. How hope works. And so, as I promised at Wikipedia, um, the source of some truth, not all truth, uh, straight up it says uh, hope gives, is, is that kind of, is the thing that gives us meaning and purpose, uh, it's that optimistic state of mind, it says, uh, that, about an expectation of positive outcomes. Optimism, positive outcomes. Uh, we're, of course, hoping for change, for things to be better. And, of course, we're hoping for things to be better right now because they've got to be better, right? And we don't know the half of it. As we've seen in Afghanistan, there are places in this world that we can scarcely comprehend just how bad things are and how much people would be hoping for better things. But hope can be a real cliff edge, right? Because as much as we hope for better things, we know what it's like to have the ground fall out from underneath us, uh, whether it be, you know, your job's done or whether, uh, you know, you're hoping that kind of your housing situation will be sorted or you're just hoping that, you know, next week would provide some kind of happiness and joy. Every time we hope for something, we bank on it, we invest on it, we imagine it. And when it doesn't come through, it takes us with us, with it. I can't help but notice just how high the calls are to Lifeline in this season. 30% up uh, in this last week. Uh, friends, these are very difficult times. Uh, and there is not much hope and there is great despair. Hope is dramatic. It, kind of, it is full of challenge, of obstacles. We're longing for a hero to deliver. The odds are stacked against us. And in this drama and tension and sadness and hope for victory, the first thing I want you to notice about hope is that it's storied. Hope tells a story. It's part of a story. And the second thing I want you to notice about hope is there's different types of hope. So kind of hoping that we might be able to return to kind of zero cases, that's dead hope. That was our hope last year. It seems to me that is a dead hope. Uh, there's uncertain hope. There's that uncertain hope that our jobs will remain kind of uh, okay. Uh, we're not sure if they will or not, but we're going to hope on that. We're going to bank on that as much as we can. There's optimistic hope, often sort of laden with desire. So I'm optimistic, as I said at the beginning, that my kids are going to go to school next term. I'm optimistic about that because I just have to be. I'm really banking on that. And into the mix of this drama, complexity, different types, Peter talks about something different, a different kind of hope. He talks about a living hope. Read with me, verse 3. In God's mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection and into an inheritance kept in heaven. He goes on, we are shielded through faith by God's power until we receive the object of our hope in full. Now, the two big things I want us to be grounded in as we wrestle with the real hope that Jesus gives is that hope is living. It's not dead, it's not uncertain, it's not optimistic, not wishful thinking. It's a living hope. And it's living hope because it's rooted in Jesus. Hope is a person in the gospel. It's not just an outcome, it's not a goal, it's a person. And that's why our hope is living because Jesus has taken on the worst that this world has to offer. 
And as he died and as everyone gave up around him, the Father, through the Spirit, raised him up from death. And now he sits at the right hand of the Father. He is living right now, interceding for us and beckoning us to come home, to guide us in. And he's given us the same Spirit that raised him from the dead, that God might work in us in every season. If he can raise people from the dead, he can work in us in this moment. And so our hope is living and active now, drawing us until that very end. The salvation of our souls. When we come back to that next week, it's a beautifully holistic picture of that Revelation 21 style where every uh, tear will be wiped away, every sickness and sadness and death will be done away with and all that we long for will be perfected. We are waiting for that day and Jesus is drawing us towards that by the power of his spirit. Are you lacking hope because things feel hopeless? Well, friends, I want you to know that Jesus rose from the dead by the power of the Spirit who is now at work in you. Is your hearts troubled? We'll go back to John 14 as we've been looking at, but know that Jesus rose from the dead by the power of the Spirit who is now at work in you. Do you not know how things are going to end? Well, friends, Jesus rose from the dead by the power of the Spirit who is now at work in you. It's unlike any other hope that this world knows and will ever know outside of Jesus. And I wonder if that's also why it feels distant, why it just doesn't feel, why it feels unreal. I was chatting to a guy um, who's in Bangkok at the moment. Uh, he came to Alpha and uh, he was talking about how kind of people look at him as he sort of talks about Christianity, as he kind of leans in. And they just look at him like with blank faces, like there's some kind of sky daddy, kind of fairy tale thing. You know, it just feels so unreal and weird. But, and when people think that, they think that Christians are kind of escaping the suffering and, and the responsibility of this world in the present because they're just longing for tickets to heaven, this sky daddy thing. But the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, this living hope, has teeth. It binds into the reality of this world for as much as God has sent Jesus into the world to suffer so that he might empathize with us, to take on death and suffering and triumph. Friends, that's what I want to do tonight is I want us to bind us, our stories, with God so that it might be real, not, not just kind of some sky daddy story. And the way we're going to do that is we're going to look for sort of three anchors I'm taking my leading a bit from Hebrews 6.19 here. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. As we feel sort of despondent at times, I want us to kind of, you know, find that anchor that sort of digs into the bigger story, that grounds us, that gives us real hope, and that makes a real difference in those moments of despair. And the first anchor, uh, taking a bit of leading from 1 Peter here, is that we would grieve well. The key to hoping well is to grieve well. Because Peter doesn't say, you know, well, you've got this inheritance in heaven, it's kept aside for you, it's all safe, just kind of hang tight for now and kind of just wait for that to happen. He doesn't say that. He gives specific place and even purpose to suffering. Look with me in verse 6. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. He's writing to Christians who are under pressure, and are suffering all kinds of trials as marginalized people. Uh, these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, 
of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. This is not some kind of weird test that God's giving us to sort of, will we pass it or not? It's about proving the genuineness, the realness of this faith that's binding us into something bigger than this moment, than the trials would have you believe. There is something bigger going on, and we are grounded in that. And one of the things I keep noticing in the New Testament is just how much people like Peter and Paul want us to see that suffering binds us even closer to the suffering of Christ. So Paul in 2 Corinthians will say, For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds in him. Friends, as we struggle and strain, may we know Jesus more. But let us kind of own those moments of grief. Let us grieve well because they are real and they really are binding us deeper into Christ. I've got a bit of a feel for this, um, not only my own reflections, but you know, some of you have come across James, James K. Smith's book on, uh, on the Road with St. Augustine. And there's this chapter on hope, and particularly hope facing death. And, uh, and James K. Smith reminds, kind of, or picks up this story of how Augustine was, uh, and Augustine's his fourth century bishop, uh, was struggling with grief because of a dear friend that he loved who passed away. And for him in that moment, Augustine describes it as a sea of sadness. Everything I set my gaze upon was death, he said. And for a while, he left that town. He just couldn't handle the memories. He was totally lost and overwhelmed by grief. Friends, in those moments, grief is ultimate. And it's the story that you're believing in. And it is overwhelming. But later on, Augustine's able to reflect on that with a bit more maturity so that he might grieve well. This is what he writes. The reason why that grief had penetrated me so easily and deeply was that I had poured out my soul onto the sand by loving a person sure to die as if he would never die. This is profound. Friends, we should not be unawares that this world is mortal. It is passing and it is going to be full of sadnesses. The way to live, to love, to hope is to recognize that there is only one unchanging source, one bedrock, and that is God. And he has sent Jesus into the mess of this world. Jesus wept on a couple of occasions. He grieved about the circumstances around him. Let us grieve. Let us weep for this world, particularly in its lack of hope. But let that not be ultimate. Let it point us to God. Let us grieve in God, is the way Augustine puts it. The second thing I want us to notice, or the second anchor, is I want us to focus our longing. And what's interesting, the kind of, as you grieve well, you're grieving because things are not the way they ought to be. And in that moment, you're actually longing as well. So these two are very interrelated. Uh, C.S. Lewis who wrote Mere Christianity, uh, has a little chapter on hope, a little tiny kind of, you know, four-page chapter. And uh, he writes this, Creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. A baby feels hunger, well, there is such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim, well, there's such a thing as water. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. 
If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, that does not prove that the universe is a fraud. Probably earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only to arouse it to suggest the real thing. Friends, C.S. Lewis wants us to trace the desires and longings of our hearts to something bigger than what's just in front of us. As Peter talks about receiving the salvation of our souls and, and sort of setting our eyes on the hope of Jesus, that's verse 13. Friends, let us trace out those longings to that, to that truth, to that bigger story, to the glory of God himself. We're never going to satisfy those longings in this world. And I think this moment's kind of showing us that. It's kind of unveiling the comforts of this life as though we would easily be satisfied by them. And it's forcing us to find something bigger to hope in, to build our life upon. This setting of our hope, our gaze on the Lord Jesus Christ, it drags us forward, deeper, closer to Jesus. This week, uh, my family had this kind of, well, another sort of family meeting as we try to sort of make sense of another tumultuous day. And, you know, all these big feelings, we kind of sit down. I didn't want to run sort of a weird dad devotion moment, but I just wanted to own the moment to sort of grieve what had happened a bit and to kind of try and make sense of it that we might start again the next day. And I said to the boys, I said, I want you to imagine what, what, what it would look like if we all treated each other as we would want to be treated. I mean, I'm kind of just quoting Jesus from Sermon on the Mount here. But as I got them to imagine this, Lewis, quick as a flash, my middle child, says, well, that'll only exist in heaven, Dad. <laughs> yep, you're right, Louis. Uh, I guess he's really acknowledging that we were far from living that out. But as he said that, I said to him, yeah, buddy, you are right. You are imagining that perfected reality where we'll be united in, in the way that we serve and lift each other up, exalt each other, just like Jesus did and is uh, doing in the, in, in the Trinity and calling us into, I didn't go into all those details, but I'm just, I'm kind of binding us into that, that reality. Uh, I said to him, but we're citizens of heaven. We're actually called to live that out now, to practice that sort of citizenship. And he sort of just sat with that for a little bit and then I sort of, this little epiphany moment, and I sort of verbalized the epiphany, I'm, a, I'm an external processor. I said, boys, I wonder if this is what God's trying to teach us in this moment. Not how to perfect homeschooling, not how to just survive this moment. What if God's trying to teach us how to profoundly love one another in the mess? Because if God can teach us that in this moment, that would kind of be huge. Friends, I wonder if we might focus, refocus our longings. That, that God would actually take out of our sort of tightly gripped hands all the ways that we imagine our glorious lives and replace such visions with a vision of Christ, with, with a calling to our heavenly identity. That we might see real growth and that we might even thrive in some way, not just survive. Here's the key. Here's the anchor. By longing for heaven, by fixing our eyes on Christ, the source of our living hope, we're being refined into glory. That we might rejoice, not just be happy, but have bedrock, have peace. 
the third anchor. And I just I wrote this in this morning just as I was thinking about how this is all hitting us and even as I try and inspire you with kind of what Christ is putting on offer here and reminding you that it's all in him, not in us, we're tired. And so I want to kind of draw on, you know, just Peter straight up, in God's mercy. I want us to be merciful to ourselves because God has been merciful to us. This is not kind of sheer grit, kind of get through stuff. This is being reminded that all of this, this living hope, is a gift for us to discover, to unwrap. I wonder whether the crutches that you are leaning on at the moment are starting to fail. Whether the self-medicating, I mean, alcohol is cheap right now. It's an easy go-to to sort of just give me that pick-me-up, that joy. I wonder if these moments where we're actually displeasing God and wasting this moment. God is merciful. And be merciful to yourself. I notice that in verse 13 of chapter 1, therefore with minds that are alert and fully sober. I mean, he's writing to people who are suffering trials just like us, probably even worse, uh, with minds that are alert. Be noticing what God's doing in our lives. Fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed. Friends, we are going to fail and struggle and strain in all the wrong ways at points. And yet God is merciful. And so be merciful to yourself. Take good care of yourself. Every morning, God's mercies are new. That's been my go-to verse in this season. Every morning, God's mercies are new. And when we join all this together, grounded in God's mercy, having hope ultimately secured, with eyes fixed on Jesus, we can take one more step forward and God willing in the right direction. Let us hold on to hope because the hero of hope is holding on to you. He's drawing you to himself by the power of the Spirit right now. I've been thinking about it like my favorite TV show, unless, of course, it's The Walking Dead and this analogy doesn't work then. But in most of our TV shows, we kind of, there's the main characters, uh, they're kind of the heroes, we know that. We know that by the end of the episode, they're going to be the heroes, they're going to be still alive. What grips us is the how, how the drama's going to unfold, what happens to them and kind of, you know, that next steps and how they recover and save the day, because we know it's going to end well. We're just, we're interested in the drama of it. Friends, as I said, hope is a story. Let us be curious about this drama because we have our end secured in Christ. We're told that. Let us be interested in the how. How is Jesus going to be the hero of this moment? Let's not make the vaccine the hero, although we hope that that will come good. Let's make Jesus the hero. Let's be curious. Let's let God do a great work in us beyond what we had imagined. So let us start with how we're tracking, like how we're feeling, that moment of despair. Let's put a couple of anchors into God's bigger story and try and bind our story into it and, and be curious about how it's going to unravel. Let us long well, let us grieve well. And that's kind of what the Psalms do. The Psalms have given me a great voice. They're part of the way we do our prayers in a staff team and in the morning prayers. Psalms give us that voice, that kind of that permission to be really raw with God. To start with, why, my soul, are you downcast? 
Or, or, or where are you? Why have you forsaken me? And then to kind of track into uh, that grieving moment and that longing moment and sort of taking up that tension between our experience and the promise of God. Of course, Jesus Christ took on that tension most fully in the cross where his experience on that cross under the wrath of God was held in tension with the promises that this was God's will and that God would hear him and vindicate him. And when all hope had vanished and the disciples had walked away, the Father heard him and looked at his obedience and faithfulness and by the power of the Spirit raised him from the dead. Friends, we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, but God does. He's working in us and ahead of us. Let us be curious. Let us psalm it out. And so my challenge to you this week is to kind of journal out, psalm out your experience through those anchors and actually lead into the hope that we have in Jesus. I might post this week a whole bunch of kind of just psalms to kick us off if you want a kind of helping start, but just start where you are. Look for those anchors and be bound into the bigger story, the story that's bigger than what this moment is telling you. But as I think about the opposite of all that I've been talking about, it's the person who is alone and it's the person who is stuck, feeling like nothing's going to change. And that is a horrible thing to imagine. But there are people across this city, across this world, who are alone and who are stuck, feeling like nothing's going to change for the better. Friends, as much as we dig into the story, God's story of hope, we are being brought into what God is doing across this world that he loves, that he sent Jesus to die for. And so as we grab hold of this story, as we bind ours into the grander story of God, friends, we are going to be sent out. And so next week, we're going to take up the stories and the Psalms we've been journaling and be ready to hold them out to a hope, to, to a world that needs hope. So let us hold on to this hope. Let us be sober-minded, not escaping the moment, but leaning into it that we might experience the comfort that comes from suffering with Christ. For he has suffered with us, with us and for us. Let God use this moment to glorify himself in us. Let me pray. Father, would you, would you comfort us when we are feeling despairing, when we have lost a sense of hope, when we feel like we're just on loop, when there's negative thoughts just cycling in our head. Father, would you show us, by the power of your Spirit, what's happening behind and beyond these moments, these feelings? Would you bind us into the gospel story? Father, we're in awe of what you've done for us, and at times it just feels so distant. So would you draw close to us, as you promise you will? Would you help us to be receiving the salvation of our souls in the full experientialness of that? And Father, by your mercy, would you keep working in us as we fail and strain, that we might take one more step towards you, because you have reached us in Christ and by his Spirit. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.
for listening to the Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church Podcast. For more audio content and information about our church, please visit neac.com.au.